This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello! Hello, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. We should just explain... Lloyd is bonus. (laughs) We should explain how this came about. We should. So, um, a man called Sam Conniff Allende, uh, who I knew when he was merely Sam Conniff, as when I was the Minister for Social Enterprise, he he ran a fantastic... Young people's magazine publishing sort of uh, social enterprise called Liberty and Live Magazine. He's written this book called Be More Pirate, and he emailed us to say, "Could he come and talk about it?" And today he did. And we we intended it really to be a ten minute chat at the end of the podcast, like we do with comedians, a chatteroo, exactly, Ed. Um, but it it was so compelling, totally compelling, um, that we ended up talking for over half an hour to him, and we thought this is this is brilliant, and it would be a shame to edit it down to just ten minutes. And there's some great ideas in here, and there's some great history in here as well. And we were quite fired up by the end of it, and we thought, well, probably you will be as well if you get a chance to hear the whole thing. So that's what this is. So so E-U-R, be more pirate. <laughs> All right, we're joined now by Sam Conniff Allende. Sam, you got in touch with us after we did the episode about economics. And I think in that, we very briefly mentioned um, uh, pirates and how they were fairer employers in terms of pay at the Royal Na- than the Royal Navy at the time. And, and this chimes in with a book that you've written. Um, do you want to tell us the book? It's called, uh, tell us about the book. It's called Be More Pirate. Certainly do. It was uh, just coming out of me at Penguin, uh, who are my publishers, and it's yours as a podcast I listen to anyway. I've been a fan of Mr. Miliband here from working together some years ago, and uh, David at Penguin pointed out the exact moment in there, and I thought, bloody hell, you guys, you're, you're so close to a story that so few people need to know, and a story that I'm trying to rewrite the um, the covered-up history and truth of pirates uh, and help redraw them from the rogues that we think they are to the role models that they think should be. So I want to come and fill in the gaps for Because there's a lot of misconceptions when you when you turned up today. I said, would you like a cup of tea or yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum? And straight away, <laughs> you, you, put me, you put me right on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission, man. I think that... Um, uh, it's a strange thing, you know. Why is it that these kind of violent, murderous thieves of history are acceptable fare for children's parties? You know, you wouldn't have a Pablo Escobar party for a six-year-old, <laughs> um, uh, or, or anything else, because there's a really confusing history around them. The truth is, I'm I'm arguing the truth is that these guys belong in uh, working-class history in the same place as the the levelers. And in the grand arc of history, possibly even on a on a on a spectrum with the suffragettes or the civil rights movement, wow. which is a big claim. I'm I'm aware. Go on, tell us. I will. Um, <laughs> thanks very much. Okay, I'm just going to tuck into one of these biscuits that you've baked. You've baked pirates attack. It's it's hard tack. Hard tack. And I I wanted to play that game because uh, there is there are a lot of truth in pirates. You know, there 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 was some peg legs and there was some hooks because there was a very difficult and damaging business that they were in. But there were no planks, for example. That was entirely made up by Robert Louis Stevenson a hundred years after the event. Um, and there was chaos and there was anarchy and there was rum, of course. But the interesting and important thing for 2018, for a a generation looking out to certain uncertainty and a distinct lack of imagination at a leadership level, is a generation who are the millennials of the hour who took responsibility, accountability for themselves, and 
rejected the rules of society, a broken and unfair society and a self-serving establishment, and they rewrote them. And that's the distinction. Every single thing the pirates did that we know for them to be rebellious, they replaced those rules with something better, more innovative and more fair. So were pirates young then? Average age of the pirates was 28. Wow. Yep. So it's the, it's the generation that we talk about so much now, the horrific terms like millennials and Gen Z, but the generation for, for whom we're all so reliant on a better future than the one we're currently writing. And these guys, you know, the similarity is really clear, actually. The, there's a kind of a backdrop of ideological international conflicts that are so confusing, no one really knows what's going on. There's a, a, what's considered to be a pretty unfair and unjust, very stratified system. There's mass redundancy through the early industrialization and mass uh, technology. Um, you know, so far, so, so similar. And this group who kind of got no opportunity going forward decide to leave town. The unicorns of their day uh, were emerging over on the west coast of America where gold was being found and fortunes were being made and they went for their fair share of it. But then what happens when they leave this society, when they leave the Merchant and Royal Navy, the biggest employers of the time, famous for their brutal um, conditions, they begun to say that, well, how, how could things be different? And they, they challenge what I think is the biggest problem now, that the, the idea that the way things are is the way things should always be. One of the hardest things for us to get our heads around, oh, well, of course they can be different. So these guys said, fuck that. We want, um, let's think of a few things that compare with today. But topic of the hour, we want pay, transparency, and equality. But we still have managed to master that one. Pirates had it. On every single pirate ship, as they set out to an adventure, they wrote out what the transparent pay structures for everyone on board would be, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or age. They were divided into shares. The captain would usually have four or five shares of the total loot and, and other positions with risk or responsibility, maybe two or three. But everybody knew exactly what they were getting. They decided that they'd seen how power, you know, corrupts all of us eventually. Uh, and they didn't want that to happen. They didn't want to go back to the kind of conditions they were in. So they said, right, they elevated the position of quartermaster on board a boat to the same power, level of authority as a captain. But one was in charge of strategy. The other was in charge of culture. And so they began a system of checks and balances. They began a system of dual governance before we had a two house system in Parliament here. 15 years before the first executive was formed around the Bank of England and the Companies Act then introduced a, a dual executive as, an, as the norm. Finally, to then protect that power even more, they gave every single member of the crew a vote, a vote so powerful it could replace the captain. So they updated what was seen until that point, uh, the kind of gold standard of democracy, Athenian democracy, many times over, because Athenian democracy was obviously only democracy for the white men involved, which is only a third of the society. This was democracy for everyone. So universal suffrage dual executives, and pay transparency. Challenges we still haven't quite got our heads around are just three of the areas which begin to suggest how, how innovative these guys really were. And recognition of same-sex marriages. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true too. That's true too. Uh, it was called matelage. Um, these were conditions with predominantly male crews. There are some incredible stories of some you know, proto-feminist role models that hopefully we can touch on. But predominantly all-male crews, and they could be huge. Like when Drake went around the, um, uh, the bottom of the Americas, they'd gone for nearly two years. So they recognised deep and meaningful relationships can be formed between male uh, crew members. Of course they can. We know that. But at the time, it was pretty you know, seditious talk. So, of course, in the Navy, which was famous for, um, what's the line, the... the buggery rum and the lash um uh rum sodomy and, rum, the, lash. Sodomy and the lash thanks very much it's a pogues album title is how i know it I exactly and and it was punishable by death on a pirate ship as they'd re begun to reject not only all the other rules but rewrite them they recognized them it was it was uh, conducted with a ceremony matthew large had a ceremony where two men were joined in union to recognize the relationship between them and it was so evolved it even had a form of inheritance so if one of them was to die the other one could take on their wow their bloody hell yeah 
Yeah. When did we get that? 2013. <laughs> and, and forgive my ignorance here, but this is it all started in Britain, yes? Yes, yes. The pirate movement. Uh, the pirate movement, by and large, came from Britain because uh, the seeds were sown by Queen Elizabeth um, and some very early kind of empire-building movements. She had Francis Drake and Walter Raleigh. Uh, we were, were we in love or war with the Spaniards and the France? She invented this ticket called um, privateering, which meant that people who had been pirates could then go out with a royal flag and do exactly what they'd been doing the day before, robbing and murdering Spanish boats, but with the, the royal flag. When she took those royal mark, letters of royal mark away, most people on board didn't really notice the difference. And having been you know, tied into conflicts with other nations for several generations, the same levels of revenge and reward still took place. So she really um, uh, created the infrastructure of the early pirate industry, um, you know, provided a ton of training. And then as, as England went to war and began empire building, we really crewed up. We had a Royal Navy, about 45,000 men at its strength and when the automation came some of the wars came to end you know the same things that we see now mass redundancy came around but instead of it being the rise of the robots uh, there was a lot of guys left doing exactly what they had been doing and they became the golden age of pirates and what about the sort of slightly inconvenient uh thing maybe for your argument which is the sort of murder pillage and sort of theft aspect of of the pirates i mean i, I sort of de- we can't really sort of just completely ignore that yeah, it's good i mean i'm hoping that you're maybe 35 on the listeners you know depending on what you're doing how, how much you're paying attention how whether you're yeah. at, the, at the gym or falling asleep right now um uh 30 swung around you know these are these are, this is all historical fact these are true innovations they will you're definitely well, you're definitely you're, you're winning me over you're whether well, you're you're you're, yeah. you know, you're you're in the room um, not in someone's ear. Yeah. And, uh, so it's a very good question and I welcome it. I address yeah. it in the first chapter yeah. in the book because I don't want to shy away from this. Um, did you ever read uh, John Ronson's Psychopath Test? Yes. It's a fantastic book. Um, and he reckons that, well, actually he doesn't reckon, he reports that about 1% of society technically is a psychopath. And then when he looks at business, it can, when you look at CEOs, about 5% are psychopaths. So there's a higher than average at a CEO level. I think pirates have a similar higher than average psychopath level because there are some very, very famous ones. There's there's Count Montbars, the exterminator, who used to kind of chalk up every Spaniard he killed. Or there was Ned Lowe, who was famous for chopping someone's lips off and then frying them and making them eat them. I mean, there's, there's some horrible and hideous stories that I wouldn't want to shy away from. But it's a minority. It's Did Gordon Brown ever do any of that? No, no definitely not. I don't know. That's not what I heard. Uh, um, uh, that, that's the other history that needs to be revealed. <laughs> be more Gordon. Um, that could be next. Uh, um, so then the second thing is the con- context of the times. Now, this is potentially moral relativism. But if you look out across the landscape of 1700s, um, you know, a respectable middle class investment for any family would be the slave trade. You know, or the sugar trade, right, yeah. you know, that were resulting in lives being torn apart, you know, mass, uh, you know, death. And I mean, just, just the destruction of the, the hands of the East India Company, which was an extension of government and a trading extension of government. Um, uh, public execution was a popular pastime, you know, that people yeah. would like you up to go and see. Um, we weren't far off children being uh, down mines or in, you know, brutally sure. chopped to pieces in spinning jennies. I mean, they were f- brutal and tough times uh, and if you were, they had the existence that many of these young professionals and that's what we're talking about tw- professionals in their 20s um, their experience on board boats was god awful you know a lot of recruitment was when you were, were you were you were drugged drunk you weren't paid so absolutely everything they did was far better 
far better than the times. And then the third and most interesting, I think, counterintuitive point is the pirates' branding, this marketing that they came up with. You know, people think it's Coca-Cola in the 1800s who invented the first global brand. It's not. It's the Skull and Crossbones. Right? And we know, we know for a fact when that was invented. It's the first global brand. Uh, and they created a story that we'd now say it went viral. It went all over the world. So with the few awful acts... They turned them into the gossip of the day. They were front page news. They were they were tap room uh, banter. Everybody knew about the pirates, and they did it to make themselves more profitable and less violent. And the, the facts are borne out by, by pirate historians and pirate economists. They had nowhere to uh, go and replenish stocks. If they pulled into town to get repairs, they'd have been hung. There was zero um, rationale for them to get into a fight whatsoever. They wanted to steal the ships, not put holes in it. They wanted to take the talent off that boat, not you know, damage it. And in terms of their own team, another innovation they had, this might be interesting to you from your political history, the first time that we ever saw um, what we call now social insurance or workplace compensation was on a pirate ship. If you, Jeff, lost a leg in this pirate endeavor, that'd be 800 pieces of eight. If Ed lost an arm, that'd be 600 pieces of eight. You'd be compensated for the damage undertaken in your job, right? Which didn't happen anywhere else at the time. It eventually became a what, 19, I can't remember when it goes into the statute, but by 1945, it becomes a, no, 1947, it becomes a human right. Uh, so the last thing you wanted was to get in a fight because you'd have to pay out of the ship's c- c- collective kitty for the damaged people. So every single rational economic reason meant these guys didn't want to fight, which meant instead they replaced it with their fearsome reputation, their excellent branding and marketing. I mean, they went so, like Blackbeard, famous, most famous pirate yeah. of all time, in um, Marcus Redeker will argue that there's no historic record whatsoever of him killing anybody. And he took this brand so far, he'd light uh, the ends of his beard. He put little sulfurous fuses on the end of his beard so that he would emerge. Be like Jeff. <laughs> a lot like Jeff. Uh, emerge into the fight, you know, with such terror that bailed on that reputation. This is a time that people still believe in, like, krakens and sea monsters. Yeah, yeah. But they just turn around, you know, That's wet, what it's like wet. for me every Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Running. And that meant... Uh, that this whole story about the bad side of it, which is well raised, is actually a very, very different true story than the one we think we know. Did the pirates end up becoming landlubbers and take taking these ideas into society? So this, I think, is something that I've discovered. So most of the, the, the work in the book, I absolutely have to give credit to the numerous historians around the world who've told bits of these stories. I don't think they've been put together this way before. I don't think anyone's ever argued that they belong somewhere between the suffragettes and the civil rights movement. Um, but the thing that I've discovered that I don't think has ever been... Uh, the lines have been drawn between it before. So the end of the Golden Age comes around 1725, 1730. Um, they'd started a republic. like They'd taken these ideas off ships and onto land in Nassau and the Caribbean. And this thriving republic began to grow. So, you know, people of colour, women, everybody has equal rights, equal say in this you know, kind of semi-utopian proto-democracy uh, that's completely unacceptable to the to the grand powers that be back in Europe who are desperately trying to hold on to power. You know, and as you, you, know, you know from history, the, the scent of revolution is coming. The colonial governors are beginning to get ready to kick out the Brits, you know, 50 years later. So those fights are beginning to brew. The pirates actually have been the armed militia uh, for the colonial governors for quite some while, harrying all the Brits and the, the taxes that lead to the Boston Tea Party. So there's there's all sorts of now really significant, deep political, uh, global controlling reasons. So the pirates are completely crushed asunder. Um, and about 10% of them are hung uh, on site and the rest are scattered around the earth. So a lot of them went home. The majority of pirates come from the west coast of England. With a, with a high uh, uh, population around Wales and, and Bristol area and up into the northwest as well. And then what happens? So these ideas come home. 
these guys at the time are, are working class heroes. They, they've got these ideals that if those ideals were, were taking place here, and you know, because it's only 50 years before you've got the levelers and the diggers who were arrested and killed for this such ideas. Anybody meeting, discussing workers' rights had to meet at the time on a crossroads so that they could see the police coming. Right? That's how uh, revolutionary the ideals were. The town next to the one that Henry Morgan, the grandfather of all pirates, is born is where Robert Owen is born. And the nascent early forms of cooperative movements to the Fennec Weavers begin to emerge in the same towns and villages that the pirates' families and, and communities were from. So I began to realise that maybe there's a link between these two things. The co-op movement, in other words. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm going to argue that there's more than a link. I think the co-op movement is a descendant, direct descendant of the Golden Age of Pirates. And I think the proof is, the, the evidence is the proximity. So this is a relatively small population in a very tight proximity with ideals that were known to be front page news of the Penny Dreadfuls. They were the, the gossip. They were the, the, the figureheads of the sea shanties of the time. You know, and, you know, some of the, the Anne Bonny, the, the females, they were the only women on earth. The, the, it was the only place on earth that a black man would have equal. I mean, the stories they had. So, of course, that set the working classes alight, right? Alight. And they, they were fighting for these rights. The levelers, through, all through the English Civil War, we were fighting over these kind of rights. And so suddenly these guys have taken the power. Their stories return home. They realise the fight hasn't necessarily been won. So how are we going to return this? It's the it's the real emergence of capitalism. It's um, you know William Blake's dark satanic mills are filling up the northwest and northeast of England. So how do we respond to this? They take the pirate principles. Robert Owen's seven founding principles of the cooperative movement are found in the pirate code. Wow! Uh, membership participation, shared ownership, um, fair distribution of wealth. You know you know them. Yeah. Six of them directly. I think the wording can be corresponded almost, you can lay it over, the pirate code that survived for 40 years of the Golden Age of Pirates. Amazing. Is it? Absolutely. Is there anything those pirates were doing that we, we would do well to uh, to take notes from now? I mean, I think quite quite a lot of it. Um, the the upside so because you because in a way your book is a manifest it's not just a history isn't it is it no it's a sort of manifesto yeah yeah um well it began as a metaphor in my mind you know as i was leaving uh i was transitioning out of the social enterprise that i've been running where which was where we met which is where we met um working with young people all around the world helping them you know realize their ambitions to be world changers and they they've been my inspiration uh, so much seeing these young people with, with, with incredible plans to change the world. And I've often referred to Liberty as a pirate model or these guys as the pirates because I think we've all got this association of pirates and rebels. Um, and so I began the book as, a, as, a, as, a, as an exercise to aid the transition, almost as a side project, as a way of collating these stories of brilliant young people. And I thought this metaphor would be inspirational for change. But I tested the book. I, I, I developed it in a series of workshops and talks. I love giving talks. I love working directly with brilliant young entrepreneurs and helping how I can help shape their ideas. And the pirate... I, Got it. I presented it to the team at Penguin in late 2016. I presented the first idea on international talk like a penguin, uh, talk like a pirate day, talk like a penguin. Day. <laughs> um, wrote it all throughout last year, and I got the chance to to work on it. I worked on it with young social entrepreneurs in townships in South Africa. You know, does this idea stack up? Is this inspiring? Can it, where are the ideas to your question? Yeah. Will it help us today? I uh, worked on it with social entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in in Athens. You know, tough times. You know, they're working with like dust and, and, and goodwill. Uh, I worked on it in Baltimore with young entrepreneurs from Illinois and Detroit and Chicago. So uh, in Brixton, in Bradford, I tried to put this in front of the most testing communities. And I took it into to head offices. I took it into chief execs. I took it into senior marketeers, into business to really push against this idea. Because as I 
got further and further into it, it began to feel like it wasn't just the metaphor. Like you say, it was, it was really a manifesto. There's something in this. There's something in the moment that we're in now where we all know things aren't quite right. We all know that there's some change coming. And this idea about change seems to have up to gear. And as we, as I think, we all look back to history, right? You view some of the people who broke the rules at the time, who at the time were the rule breakers and the criminals, they've become our heroes. Absolutely. We've been celebrating them this week. Um, and the, those who followed the rules become the criminals, those who were just following orders. History judges us you know, interestingly and differently over time. No one could deny that we live in historic times. But do you know when it's the right time to break the rules? When the time comes and those level of rules that do need to be broken and not followed, are you ready for that? Are any of us ready for that? And so this idea of rule breaking is a meaningful, responsible, you know, almost positive thing. By the middle of the year, just I, I was into a very different place with it. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. So you're not saying clamber onto ships and uh, hijack people on the high seas. Uh, you are saying break the rules. What, say a bit more, though, about the, the key principles of the manifesto that yep. come out of the sure. pirates. Okay. Um, there's five. Uh, five stages that I believe are create a bit of a, a kind of a framework. And I know there's something funny about making a framework for rule breaking but nonetheless <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i've tested this on my uh, 18th century pirates and i've tested it on those who i think you know once i put this framework down who, who you know modern pirates let's call them who, who fit this model um uh, to run through quickly the first stage is to rebel just a very simple act of sod that that's a stupid rule why are you doing that and you you, you both know this you can find yourself in many organizations why do we do that Oh, that's just the way we've always done it. If you traced it back, you know, someone on a bad day with a hangover came up with an idea and that's become a rule, right? Yeah. You know, we all realise that as we become grown-ups and suddenly you're, you're waiting to meet the people in charge, like there's somebody that knows what they're doing and it doesn't matter how high up you go, they're still not there, are they? Um, so break a rule because it's incredibly liberating. You'll, you'll still be here tomorrow. You know, you might get told off. We're so conditioned to follow the rules that we will even follow the stupid rules. And I don't think there's the only thing more stupid than a stupid rule is the person that follows it. So I think there's a, a level of accountability for the situation that we're in that you need to be ready to start questioning some of those early assumptions. Are these the right way of doing things? It's, you know, the world's speeding up, man, and, and the shit is going down. The second stage is to rewrite. The thing that distinguishes these pirates from any other, the, 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 the fantastic Chinese pirates, which is a great story, the Somalian pirates, which is a, is a tragedy. These parts didn't just break rules, they rewrote them. This is actually an exercise in a, in a generation rewriting the rules of society. And that's the bit where they should be. So it's not just well, anarchy. Yeah. It is not purposeless yeah. anarchy. Yeah. It is willful, creative destruction. You know, let's break these. They, they were tearing down the rules of society to make something better for themselves. You know, there was nothing for them. So they rewrote, how do we have a say in this wealth? How do we have a say in our lives? You know, the, the female, you know, this, this week has been, you know, Millicent Fawcett has been the, the biggest news of the week, and so she should be. Um, you know, what she represents a little while after this Golden Age of Pirates was a time when women were considered to be not just less uh, equal, but less intelligent, less capable. And so people putting, you know, the idea that women could be fearless leaders, it was so out of its time. So, yes, it's absolutely about rewriting the rules, defying conventions, and then resetting them. 
the third is about reorganization because there was no way they were going to go up and win against the Navy by taking them on at size. Um, and so it's about how do we, as more nimble organizations or smaller groups and bodies, um, begin to challenge the notion of scale and growth. You know, scale and growth slowed the Royal Navy down. Scale and growth challenges us now in the kind of hopefully the latter stages of bloated capitalism and the, the negative outputs of some of the big businesses when big is no longer a kind of asset but a liability. We, all, we, all can, we can all see where we are with part of this problem. You see, with the big big business stories of the moment, you know, the, the greed and the, the, the flabbiness of it. So these guys really pied in what we would now call like buzzwords as agile networks and, you know, fluid systems and responsive organizations. They really, really pioneered it. They got it just right. They were on average about 40, 50 person crews. Uh, they could crew up and there's 2000 of them. Henry Morgan leads a 2000 person crew and sacks the entire city of Panama. Then they can then crew down back to their individual um, that's not necessarily the, the thing to aspire to, by the way. Um, and then back down to that. So that's really fluid structure. And, and, and I think we need this. I think we need to get over this idea that, that growth for growth's sake is good because growth for growth's sake is cancer. And when you apply that to business, we've got a real problem, as we know we have. So the, the fourth one is then about redistribution. Uh, uh, and that's redistribution of power. So these guys, they'd escaped the Navy, they'd escaped these stratified systems, and they didn't want, you know, Jeff to become the captain because he seems all right now. Because um, once we're out at sea, you know, Jeff might go mad and he doesn't want to share the gold. Very likely. <laughs> you can see it's the beard. So we'll make Ed the quartermaster. So we'll give I'm not sure about that. Check some balances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed's got the voice of the people. Yeah. So we'll give Ed the voice of the people. You've got the strategy. And so now there's equal power. So Aha, the Jeffocracy is dead. <laughs> It's so It's shared out, but then we'll give everyone else in the room. We'll give Alex and we'll give David. We'll give everyone equal votes, so that if either of you lose the plot, the, you know the power is then distributed and shared. So, and and I see we see this in the social enterprise. You know the growth of social enterprise so well. I was um, I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this. Uh, Go on. So I was doing a pirate talk at Stella McCartney's um, Strategy Away Day for her global team and, and business. And at the end of it, the one the ideas we come with is, you know, mutinies and what can we do that's different? And this one really smart, like classic millennial talent, you know, obviously such a bright mind in the business. Everyone had to put forward their ideas for rule breaking. He said, we should corporatize the business. You know, you couldn't think of an idea further away from a business, an idea that, that kind of business might think of. But it, it caught fire. And the reason it caught fire is the 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 appetite for self-ownership, you know, the rise of the hustle generation of doing your own thing is actually the thing that people want. So this notion of redistributing a, a, a slight chunk of having the ownership of it not only keeps things fairer, stops them going the way that we have been, because we know that hasn't worked for our businesses now for generations, but also it meets this growing appetite of millennials and the changing workforce. And the fifth is retail, uh, which is the pirate's real strength. They told such tall tales that it shook the world. You know, this this idea that the small can't necessarily defeat the, the big, we've you know, reproven that time and again. The art of their storytelling, you know, their branding and their marketing, we've kind of touched on this, and um, was just pronounced and, and, and profound and allowed them to really take on those those odds. And it's what meant that you know, the first, um, uh, when the Royal Charter allowed only 12 printing presses, when the printing press was first brought to the UK, uh, it meant, of course, that the monarch had complete control over the, the media. Now, we wouldn't stand for that these days. Um, uh, and the first public press was called the Pirate Press. And it was obviously named after the heroes of the hour. And it started putting out the stories. At, uh, when was that? 1716. So it was right in the right. midst of it. Um, and it started publishing at an affordable price media for the mainly illiterate masses with stories of pirates and others. So again and again and again, the, the storytelling power of this is, is so profound. So these five stages... Um, 
it could be seen as glib that they all begin with an R, but it also allows me to say that it's the R section of it. <laughs> Which sometimes I wonder is, you know, the, the kind of joke really I wrote the whole book for. <laughs> like just, just to retrofit that bad dad joke. Um, but yeah, those are the stages that I think, and, and I think uh, as I've taken that framework and you apply it in the, in the rebel section, I start talking about Malala because I think that, you know, if you want to, instance of rebellion yeah. that anybody can do writing a blog but it is, is you know almost humdrum right but in the context that she did it and the way that then that singular storytelling of that individual in rewriting I, I, I tell the amazing story of Anne Bonny but I also start talking about Chance the Rapper you know who um, you're probably both big Chance fans um, he's the first artist to ever win a Grammy without a record deal Right, and he's also just legendary and has been a you know, massive advocate of the Obamas and raised millions for the hospitals in Chicago. Uh, but that, what that does for one of the heroes of the hour, for all the young people following hip-hop, but suddenly the, the model isn't go and get signed. So snap goes the business model of the music industry as he rewrites the rules of another part of our broken system. And I follow it through in each single one of them. Uh, there's a modern example, but several actually modern examples from Elon Musk to the platform cooperative movement. I can I can go on at length. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks, man. Thanks, what are you going to do next? Can I use that as a cover quote? Totally. What are you going to do next? Um, I have stopped doing what I have been doing. Yeah. I've left Liberty full time to to try and be the be wind. more pirate. Try and be more pirate. Yeah, I'm living. I'm living this. Uh, I'm trying to live by the principles of it. The thing that I really want to do next is I wasn't expecting the response. I think there's a, I haven't written a book before. I, I don't find, I didn't come to writing very, very easily. I like doing it. Uh, I was really surprised that anybody thought it was good. And then also really surprised when I go back and read any of it and think, oh, that's quite good. So for me to then find people taking what I've said seriously is the most surprising thing. But midway through March, I received an email. So the previews had only been out a week and a half. And I received an email from a young woman who come through Liberty. We'd mentored her. She's amazing talent. And she's now um, um, in the media. So I'd sent one to her. And she wrote back and said, I got to page, I can't remember what it was, 171. And I've just resigned. She said, I'm going to quote your own book back at you. This line here, this is what I've been thinking, but I've been too scared to do. It's time for me to you know, go and be my own person. I need to rebel. I feel so liberated. Thank you. And I was, so a deep responsibility. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, so I'm you know, offered to provide any kind of support I can and mentor and what's this plan you're going to do? Two days later, another one. Three days later, another one. Then I sat down with a friend of mine who'd uh, done some early proofing with me. She's like, you know what? I've started, I've left. And I'm starting my own business. And it just began to amass. And when it went past 10, I was like, right, okay, there's something something going on. But then it's it's grown beyond that. I did the um, uh, the audio book, two-day recording of the audio book. The sound engineer was one of the nicest men I've ever met. He came in the second one. He's like, I've got to tell you, I've started a campaign on a VAS to move Parliament out of London. It's been bothering me all my life. Right, We've got to fucking do it. You're like, what? <laughs> so there's having this response. And now I sat down and did an interview last week uh, with a really lovely, amazing young woman called Natalie. She's a, she's a journalist, but she's also a campaigner. And she's a campaigner for her friend who's been detained at Yarlswood. Um, a young woman who's of African descent has been living in this country for most of her life and has been taken into Yarlswood because of a, a complexity over her forms, but she's clearly been, you know, you can read the whole story, it's a separate story, a pillow. And she only thanked me before we did the interview because she's used the framework in the book as the backbone for the campaign that she's been running to bring attention to the case of Apello. And she's managed to bring in um, a number of different MPs, including Diane Abbott, and she's managed to get the story into the independent. She's really shining a light on this um, massive challenge that her, her friend faces around her own liberty. And one thing to hear someone's resigning, it's another here to hear someone's doing a campaign of ads, but 
that a, amazing young woman who's fighting for the freedom of Apollo is much needed out of a, you know the, the horrors of somewhere like Yarl's Wood fighting against the Home Office in an unfair immigration case. So I feel duty bound now to both help her as much as we possibly can um, and try and be the wind in as many more sails of rebellion as we can because the book isn't even out. <laughs> so uh, we've done what, 300 copies went out? 400 copies. I think we've seen about 20 of these stories that have come in. So I'm, I'm hitting nearly like a 5% rebellion rate, right? Wow. <laughs> and there's thousands of these things about to emerge. So, um, you know, we could have a lot of rebellions to try and fuel. And if they, if they follow the line of good trouble, which is what this book is calling for, then I shall hopefully have my hands filled. So, Sammy, you've brought along um, a couple of copies of yes. the book and a proposition. Yes, I have. Um, so this is a story about rebellion and it would be... Um, disingenuous of me not to be trying to rebel myself everything we're doing around the book and the the amazing team at penguin are really you know putting themselves on the line to break some rules too uh the book itself the front cover we've managed to have no title to it my name's not on there we've stolen a steve's job quote, which i still can't still can't believe we've got away with so i'd like to bring that sense of rebellion to you i'd like to ask maybe even the two of you about a rule that you want to break a, a rule, a convention you're actually trying to do. Well, I'll tell you mine straight away. Yep, it's pubs that have a sign-up saying toilets are for customer use only. So I, <laughs> I'm trying to get braver of just going in, not asking to use the toilet and just making a beeline for it. And I even had an idea that there should be an app which has blueprints, like architects' drawings of all the different places that have toilets. That, so you could just look in advance on your phone and then just put your head down and go go straight in without asking. So if you're listening to the show and you see a pub that has that sign and you should definitely tweet to the show and then Jeff can make a, yes. make a list that he can then... <laughs> I think that's a fucking great rebellion. Excuse Thank my language. You. I think that's an excellent rebellion. And, and that's a good... Because I think the rebellions are micro and macro. You know, some people are just... Mm. I, I've had this one group uh, from a talk I did and their mutiny is about meeting culture in their workplace and they've all agreed um, amongst them on a WhatsApp group if the meetings aren't being well run, there is an agenda. They're going to stand up and walk out. Wow. And because there's about 20 of them, they, they can't lose their job if they're all doing it but they're all terrified to do it on their own so i don't mind if the rebellion is 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 that level of micro is is pub toilets or you know like i said the story of of of, of apello and, and natalie um you know so i think it's i think it's instinctive and i think it's internal what i want us to get used to and get better at is the idea of actually breaking some rules so ed what's yours this name? might be a bit of a cheat but look this podcast is designed as a rebellion because you know the the sort of old idea of a think tank, and I'm not doing down think tanks, is that they produce ideas and sort of publish reports and all that. And what we're trying to do is to bring sort of ideas, including yours, but across a whole range of areas to people. But also, you know, I want this podcast to be more than it is a tool for people to act um, so that when they hear something on this, they think, well, that's a good idea. I should go and be an advocate for it or you know, that idea makes me think of another idea that I want to do in my own community. Yep. So so in a way, I, I think look, and we're in the sort of a relatively early stages of this, but what we want this to be um, is a is a kind of this podcast to be something that does break the rules about how political and social change happens. I mean, I think we've got the sense of that from from it. That's why I was a fan right from the outset of it. And to be fair, you know, you have done your fair bit of rebelling you know, in, in your time, standing up to the Murdochs, the energy companies and everyone else on behalf of all of us. So um how about then i suggest a rule that we break for this uh, particular episode we could call it reasons to be pirate okay very good and now hang on the offer oh yeah, yeah. the offer right yeah. so i've brought along two of these uh, books i have hand wrapped them in some skull and crossbones tissue paper i bought a uh a, had made a wax skull which has got a little mexican flavor to speak to uh, the heritage of my wife and kids um i bought two in 
Uh, so they're currently exclusive because the book's not out yet, although by the time that you're listening to this, listeners, it may well be. Um, and they're available for free, but they come with a very special offer of me as well. The question is, what rule are you trying to break? Not just what rule are you trying to break, but as you've heard, what rule are you trying to break and make better? That's going to have a positive impact. And if it's a great one, as deemed by Ed and Jeff, then I will bring the book to you personally and spend up a couple of hours to bring all of my knowledge, expertise, contacts and anything I can to help you break that rule to make it better. And then maybe you'll report back with the person to us as to how you've managed to break the rules. And then you get to come down to this nice art loft and we'll tell about our rebellion and the stories that we've had and the lessons that we've learned together with so so email in at reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com yeah here's the tell us what line. reasons to be pirate reason to be pirate tell us what rule you want to break and we will give you sam conifiende and his book <laughs> thank you so much for joining us be more pirate available basically now basically now yes you can buy it on amazon or if you'd like to uh that doesn't seem very pirate well I was going to say if you want to buy it with somebody who pays the taxes you can buy it from bemorepirate.com 